We have quite a lot going on in the life of our church coming up. I'd like to share a few opportunities um, with you. The first is this Wednesday is our final Wonderful Wednesday until September. So there's a way for you to sign up to come and eat with us. We will have a, an update from the Council of Bishops, from the two bishops that are part of our congregation uh, as our final program in the faith class. So we hope you will join us for that. Also, coming up this, this Saturday at um, 7 o'clock here in the sanctuary, we'll be hosting the ASO Chamber Choir. Um, so please come and hear a wonderful concert um, provided by them. We hope to see you there. Today, begin the sign-ups for our Community Impact Day. Um, Kevin Murphy is out here in the hall um, waiting to show you how to sign up online. Um, we're going paperless for this, um, for lots of reasons, but um, we hope that you will join us. Uh, it is June the 2nd, in a few Saturdays from now, and uh, we'll have a wonderful breakfast together at 8 o'clock in the morning, by, provided by our United Methodist men down in the gym. And then we will break off into work sites, and um, we have quite a few places to visit, agencies and um, other places and nonprofits that are connected to our community um, to go out as a body of Christ, as a church, um, to serve our very community that we live in. So we hope that you will join us for that opportunity. And then the next day, our pick picking will happen, so we hope you will sign up for that as well and join us for some good food and good music and fellowship and inflatables if you want to go down a big slide with me. Also want to let you know about our um, offering today. Um, our Mother's Day offering is for Givens Estates to help those who are struggling to make ends meet, um, to honor our elders. So if you care to give to that, um, that is what our special offering is today. There's also an opportunity to sign up for Bible Times that will be here before we know it, our Vacation Bible School, so you can register your children, your grandchildren, if they're in town with you or live locally, as well as we need lots of volunteers. Um, so if you are interested in helping with that, we would love to see you as a part of that time together. Is that everything, Scott? This is, um, this is also the last Youth Lab on Wednesday. Um, it follows the wonderful Wednesday schedule, so um, be mindful of that. I know many of you will be sad that that is ending. Um, as we transition into prayer time together, um, I invite for you to be in prayer for the Priors. Hollis Pryor was in the hospital this week, but is home doing much better. So please pray for him, he and Lynn. Also, Frank Dillard's service, um, his memorial service will be this Saturday at 4 o'clock here in the sanctuary. Um, so we hope that you will join us to honor his memory. Our New Testament lesson is from Acts chapter 1, the first 14 verses. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote, all about that, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with, staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John was baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now.
So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time which you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered the city, they went into the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I was, I was home from college one summer, and my younger brother Kerry was going to the swimming hole with a bunch of his friends, and so I wanted to go because it was hot in Cherokee. And at the time, there were two Dairy Queens in Cherokee, and this was the one on the backside where, uh, just down the river from where the old high school was. And behind this Dairy Queen, there was this really great swimming hole, and um, we were we were pretty sure it was. Uh, deep enough to swing really high on the rope swing that was hanging there and uh, just crash into the water. And so lots of people would gather. That was a a place where we would gather to to swim just behind the Dairy Queen. And so um, I remember watching Carrie as he climbed out of the water and uh, began climbing up the tree. You climbed up the tree just a little bit to grab hold of the rope swing before swinging out, except he didn't grab hold of the rope swing. He just kept climbing and kept climbing. And I, I think I'm, I was as tall back then as I am now, but it just seemed like he was way up there. You know how when you go back to something, it's not as big as you remember it. He was way up there. Just standing on the limb that the rope was tied to, just standing there with his arms out like this. And I'm like, he's lost his mind. And people started to to gather, like at the Dairy Queen, those with their peanut butter parfaits and their Oreo blizzards in the parking lot, they they began moving toward the the river and were staring up at him. And the swimmers that were in the water and those of us that were on the bank, we were all just looking up at him, standing there. And it was kind of like the world was frozen or it was moving in slow motion as he just began to slowly fall. And he grabbed, gracefully grabbed hold of his feet, and he did a flip 
and a half and straightened out and there was no splash. I mean, I'm not kidding you. It was like an Olympic dive. And we were all just stunned. Like the whole place was stunned to silence. And then his head pops up out of the water and then the, the world erupts in applause and laughter. And... Carrie was fully committed to that dive before he ever started climbing that tree. And the result was spectacular. Now as an event, the ascension of Jesus doesn't garner as much attention as the birth of Jesus or the resurrection of Jesus. But it made the creeds. And it's the event, some argue, that, that transforms the disciples and sets them on this path that alters the world forever. Before the resurrection, the disciples said that they were all in, especially Peter and Thomas. They said it like, we will die for you. We will die with you. But they deserted him, and they denied him, and they doubted him. And even after the resurrection, they were back to their old way of life. They were back to fishing for fish. As, as Luke tells the story, the ascension of Jesus is a moment of revelation beyond which the disciples are never the same. They're not the same after this. In the creed, we say, I believe in Jesus who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, who was born of the Virgin Mary, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, who was crucified, who was dead, who was buried. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended. He ascended into the sky. And the disciples stood there, looking up at him. It's hard to imagine what that must have been like. I've been sitting in pews looking up at a stained glass window and the feet of Jesus are disappearing into a cloud, but I don't think that probably really captures that moment in, in Galilee. I'm sure that they felt sad. When you think about their feelings about Jesus leaving them, uh, certainly afraid. There was a, a fear of being left alone. There was that big question, like, now what are we going to do? Then, then the men in white robes, angels. Some speculate that it, it was Moses and it was Elijah, but, but, but they're like, why are you just standing there? And I think I would say, well, what do you mean, why am I just standing here? Did you see what we just saw? And so these men in white robes say, yeah, we know, it's crazy, but you've got stuff to do. And I'm, I'm sure Jesus' last words to them would have rattled them a bit. He reminds them, um, he says, remember what I told you in the very beginning? John is going to baptize you with water, 
But I am going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And the fire is coming. In just a few days, the fire is coming, and you need to wait for it. And so Jesus says, go back to Jerusalem and wait. You remember at the tomb on Easter morning, the men in white robes said, uh, Jesus is not here, he's risen. Meet him in Galilee. And I'm guessing that, that this, this command to go to Galilee had to them to feel like they were, they were fleeing the heat that was in Jerusalem, like they were going to escape the teeth of the dragon that had gotten hold of Jesus. So Jesus sends them right back into the fire. I'm guessing that would have had the reverse effect. Now I want you to go back to Jerusalem where all that mess was and wait. Jesus says a different fire is about to start burning, and I think that stirs in them their big question, and that's the question that they ask. It's like, so is this it? Is this the time? Is this the time when Rome is going to burn, you know? Because that's what they really want. Will you restore the kingdom? They're, they're still wondering about the old dream. We have our questions, too, I think. We, we want to know what's going on. We want to have some knowledge of God's plans. We want to know what's ahead of us. You know, but sometimes God says go before giving us all the facts. It's biblical and it's also experiential if your life has been anything like mine. But in the inaugural story, God says to Abraham, go, which is a significant go because I think there was a lot of wealth there. Go, leave your land, your family. And then it's like, well, I'll show you where later. I'll give you the details later. For now, just go. Jesus' response is, it's not, it's not for you to know the times that the Father has set. But you'll receive power. That's what he tells them. The power will move you. It's a dangerous power that will move you from all of your safe places. That's what I read in this story. It's a dangerous power that will move you from behind your locked doors. And I think a lot of times when I reflect on my own life, I'm behind uh, some of those locked doors too. David Forney writes about this text. And he says, for 40 days, Jesus has been with the disciples, and he's been talking about the kingdom of God. And then he orders them to stay in Jerusalem and, and to wait for the promise. And so he thinks, surely, the disciples are reasoning that what Jesus means by this is that the kingdom is coming. In just a few days, it's coming. Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God they were thinking about the kingdom of Israel. And a lot of times our notion of kingdom and God's notion of kingdom doesn't, don't necessarily match up. So what are our conceived notions about the kingdom? I've been, I've been in churches where it's about the kingdom of uh, survival. There's an invitation to care for the poor in the community or support a missionary abroad and a response of 
well, someday. Right now we have to pay our own light bill, and right, right now we have to take care of us and make sure that we can survive ourselves before we can give to someone else. And I think I've been in churches where the idea of God's kingdom, it's, it's a kingdom of activity. It's about all that I can do. Or maybe a, a kingdom of, of consumption. But in the book of Acts, and we're going to spend these next weeks in the book of Acts, we are moved from passively waiting for, for Jesus to return and fix things and, and set things right. You know, when Jesus comes again, we're moved from that, that passive place of waiting to, to actively participating in the work of the Holy Spirit now. So we can't just sit in our pews looking up into heaven. We've got stuff to do. And what is revealed in, in our text for today from Jesus is the stuff that we have to do is witness. You will be my witnesses. And when we really think about the places where Jesus says they need to go, we realize how uncomfortable that can be, frightening that can be. There was an article in, in the Good Housekeeping magazine it was about the, the five things that guests notice when they enter your house. One of them is uh, piles of mail. And there are some solutions to each of these. They'll notice stacks and piles of mail. And so if you've got an empty drawer, you can slide all of the mail into the empty drawer before your, your guests get there. Another one is the dust bunnies and the cobwebs. So just use a broom or a hand vacuum weekly and just keep those things out of there. Uh, a messy bathroom, and there was advice on how you could just have a, uh, you know, just a little spray bottle of, of glass cleaner, and you could do the glass, but also the toilets, and just freshen things up and uh, uh, keeping it clean. Uh, the, the dirty dishes in the sink, well, just throw them in the dishwasher, or kind of rinse them off and place them in the oven. Well, that would never work for me because then when I'm going to have the frozen pizza, I usually just fire up the oven, and I'm sure I would. Uh, do a lot of damage to the dishes. And the fifth thing was the bulging waste baskets. Empty the trash into a larger receptacle that you can then hide. And I thought this was all kind of interesting and funny. But now, when I come over to your house, I'm sure I probably won't notice these things. <laughs> I will notice what kind of space you have designated for coffee. I'll notice if you have a John Deere tractor uh, out back. And then I'll probably say something like, hey, after we've had coffee later, could we take your John Deere out for a spin and maybe plow something up? But what is it that people notice? What do people witness in us? I think they'll ultimately notice the stuff that matters. Like, I wonder what you witness in me? Am I, am I genuine? Do I care about you? Am I in this thing with you? People will know if we're for real. I find it interesting that the Greek word for witness is the same word for martyr. We've got to be all in. In the Leadership Journal, uh, Jill Briscoe tells about going to Croatia. 
when there was all the trouble over there and she was asked to speak to a church that was gathering. There were about 200 refugees, newly arrived refugees. And they were mostly women because the men were either in a camp somewhere or they were fighting or they were no longer alive. And This group had fled to a seminary in the border of this battered town in Croatia. And there was, there was still some danger, there was some sniper fire, there was some bombing in this town, um, but the church had escaped because there were apartment buildings be- between them and the guns, and so the attackers had tried to fire shells and, and bombs to hit the seminary, but they had failed, so the seminary became this, this place of, of uh, receiving and feeding the refugees, and so they would care for them during the day, and then they would, they would gather for, for worship in the evening, and she had been... Um, invited to, to preach. She didn't know what to say. And everything that she had thought to say just seemed inadequate. And so she just put her notes aside and just said, God, help me with what to say. And this is what she said. I told the women about Jesus, who as a baby became a refugee. He was hunted by soldiers and his parents had to flee Egypt at night, leaving everything behind. I continued telling them about Jesus' life, and when I got to the cross, I said he hung there naked, not like pictures tell you. They knew what that meant. Some of them had been stripped naked and tortured. At the end of the message, I said, all these things have happened to you. You are homeless. You have had to flee. You have suffered unjustly. But you didn't have a choice. He had a choice. He knew all this would happen to him, but he still came. And, and then she told them why. And she said many of the, the women knelt down, put their hands in the air, and wept. And then she said, he's the only one who really understands. I cannot possibly understand, but he can. He's the suffering God. And you can give him your pain. That's the message God sends us with. And it's a, it's a dangerous invitation. Jesus sends them back in the fire, but he warned them of that. That it wasn't going to be a comfortable existence. In Matthew chapter 10, he says, See, I'm sending you out like sheep into the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. It's like Jesus tells them, you can't be milk toast. There are wolves out there. And, and I think, if you're at all like me, in times like these, um, it can seem a bit overwhelming living am- among the wolves. I'm trusting that certain things are going to come to your mind about these days in which we live, these days in which we're, we're called to be the church. A man stopped to watch a, a Little League baseball game. And he, he asked one of the youngsters, what's the score? And the little boy said, well, we're losing 18 to nothing. And the man, man said, I must say, well, you, you don't look too discouraged. Why should we be discouraged? The boy asked, puzzled. We haven't come to bat yet. 
Let us pray. God, I pray that your spirit, your fire, would give us courage to jump, to be all in. And that when we get in the game, your spectacular things will happen. Because we're not afraid to be your church. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.